0: Do you even know what we're doing today? No. Okay. We are going to cover the mystery of D.B. Cooper.
1: When your tongue comes out like that, I know it's going to be good.
0: Well, it's because I'm a serpent. That's why. Yeah. Just like Diana.
1: Oh, my <laughs> Licking gosh. her chops.
0: Her oh. chops, honey. Well, D.B. Cooper is a strange case because do you know anything about it I should ask you first and foremost?
1: It sounds like a familiar name, but... I I don't.
0: It's pretty famous. Um, Well, it's interesting. It happened in the 70s, which is – I know you love cases from the 70s. But what's interesting about it is that it essentially took place in the sky. It's an unsolved mystery that happened on a plane. (gasps) Isn't that interesting?
1: Ooh, and in the 70s. Very rare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just thinking about like airlines back then were so fancy. I mean, that was like – You were really somebody if you were on a plane.
0: And true. And they were so incredibly lax on security, like, as you would learn in this case. Well, the FBI has made mention of this case over the years because they consider it to be one of the greatest mysteries in U.S. history. D.B. Cooper, just to give you, like, the rundown, he was aboard an airplane in the 70s when a hijacking plot unfolded from his doing that would eventually see D.B. Cooper making his escape from the plane while it was mid-flight, and this was the last moment he was ever seen. Now you're hearing that, and I'm sure you're like, okay, well, he jumped out of the plane and died. Probably not the case, as the body, the parachute, and what he got away with has never been found. So, so good. I love this case. I'm so happy we're doing it. There's just a ton of mystery around it.
1: What a set of circumstances. <laughs> I, know. I don't think you've Talk ever given me like a, a top plan. line with <laughs>
0: yeah. that sort of uh, just what in the world. I know. I know. <laughs> well, there's questions about like who could have carried something like that out because that's not the average Joe. That's a very specific person who would have the gall to jump out of a plane. So people are – there's a lot of speculation. You know, like who was he? Like how did he know how to do that? Why did he do what he did? And there's some conspiracy from some people that he wasn't even real. Some people think that he was, like, drummed up from the flight crew as, like, a fictitious person to get Mm -hmm. away with, like, ransom money. Um, But there's some evidence to counter that. This is a proper tale. It's an eerie story. There are not many answers. So the majority of it is pieced together with witness statements as well as the negotiation tactics and the phone calls from the U.S. military to D.B. Cooper. Now, you said you haven't heard of it. It is a semi-famous case, I would say, from the 70s. It was huge in the 70s because the FBI was, like, all over this. But since then, it, you know, the coverage doesn't get done as often as it used to. And before we jump into it, or jump out of it, I should say. It's a horrible <laughs> pun. I don't even know why I tried it. Um, I'm going to give a quick thank you to everybody. Welcome back to Creep Time, and thank you for listening. Creep Time, the podcast, back for another Friday episode with Silas Dean and Stu. Woo-hoo! We're here. <laughs> Are you coming Friday. down still from the Kendrick Johnson case?
1: Um, Happy Friday. N- no. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke about it with my dad literally tonight. I was like, I have to tell you about this case because it happened in Valdez. Did you really? Oh, my God. Yeah. And he was just – he, like, launched into lawyer mode immediately and was like
0: <laughs> – Oh, my God. Giving me all – Can I know what case. he said or should I, should I keep it private?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I, I think – We can keep it private only because, you know, he like draws from things that he experienced in Georgia and all that kind of stuff. So Mm
0: -hmm. and also
1: he's just a private man. He'd be like, I, I feel like I would do him a disservice by trying to recount anything he said. He's very serious, you know. He's very you serious, serious about his word.
0: Sue is trustworthy to the grave. <laughs> she will take a secret to the grave. No, I think we all have like a, we all have a pretty concrete opinion on what happened with Kendrick Johnson. Yeah. And honestly, the response to that episode was pretty astounding. I mean, just the, how unanimous everybody was and how they feel about the case and the story. And, I'm happy we did it. I'm really happy that we followed that suggestion. But to give another shout-out to another suggestion, specifically this case, shout-out to Kendra, who is in the comments all the time on Spotify. Stu, Kendra, Kendra, if you're you're listening, I know you're listening. We love you. She could be a producer of this show. Every single case suggestion Kendra makes is a hit. (laughs) Kendra! I have never, not once have I seen her comment a case and be like, you should cover this, and I haven't been like, Oh my god. Yes, we have to cover that case. Like she's just in step with us every single time. She's amazing.
1: Kendra. So Kendra,
0: we We're we cutting adore you a you. check. Kendra, <laughs> come collect your bag, honey. <laughs> thank you so much for listening and suggesting 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 these stories and being a part of this every single week with us. And thank you to all of the creepers who continue to listen and do these deep dives with us. We love you. And of course, if you're not already, please make sure that you go right this second and follow <laughs> or subscribe to the podcast and hit the bell notification so you don't miss a beat because we're here with new episodes every single week and if you want to make our day please leave us a review because the way i tell you the gilly hicks comments and the reviews <laughs> saved my soul <laughs> they saved my spirit <laughs> i was rescued <laughs> okay but that's my that's my only like <laughs> kickoff with that i'm gonna dive into this story are you ready I'm so ready as always. All right. So what happened the day of that we know? So I'm going to take us back to November 24th, 1971. This is a Wednesday and it's actually just before Thanksgiving. There was a man who was going by Dan Cooper. He bought a $20 one-way ticket in cash for flight number 305 aboard the Northwest Orient Airlines going from Portland to Seattle. So in the descriptions that we're later going to Come from this from those who saw him and interacted with him, which is why I think the whole theory about him being a fictional person or someone that the crew dreamed up is like silly. Like he was very much real. But he was described as a man roughly in his forties, and he was very, very well dressed. He's in like a sharp business suit, he's got a black overcoat, brown shoes, white shirt, and a black tie. But of the most notable of what's on his person, he has a distinct black briefcase that he was carrying with him as well as a brown paper bag. Now, it is incredible to think about this, but in the 1970s, airport security did not exist. Effectively, it did not exist because none of these items were checked and he's just allowed to board the plane. Like, you know, he's a businessman with a briefcase. Get on the plane. That's how the story goes. So once he gets on the plane, he is sat in C-18C, which I think is an aisle seat. Are you a window or aisle seat kind of gal? Just curious.
1: Aisle seat all the freaking way.
0: Is it because you have to pee all the time? You have to get out.
1: <laughs> Called out. Um, yes. And... <laughs> no, I'm saying
0: because that's why I choose the aisle seats. <laughs>
1: uh, you know what it is? I think um, in a way I feel a little claustrophobic in the window. I, I am somebody that likes to mm. be able to get out of a situation, even though, unless I'm D.B. Cooper, I guess I can't get out of it really up in the air, but... Um, yeah, oh, love- not
0: only can he get out of his seat and get to the aisle, he can get out of the damn plane. That's I mean, what I'm saying. I have to be D.B. <laughs> Cooper to
1: get out of the actual plane. But in some weird <laughs> headspace, I guess I feel like I'm less uh, – I can, like, get out faster in the aisle seat.
0: Do you sleep on planes well? Can you do that? Or is I that something you've never done?
1: clonk out in three seconds on a plane. Really? Mm-hmm.
0: That must be so nice. With nothing? Like, you don't take anything for that?
1: Nope, nothing. And I'm like, give
0: me a list of your prescriptions right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) It's called anxiety. Um, No, honestly, (laughs) I don't know what it is. I really, there's something that I actually, there might be some truth to that. I think when I get on a plane, I know that everything is basically out of my control as to like how it goes Mm. from point A to point B. And so I can just (sighs) clonk out so fast.
0: I find it I find planes to be peaceful too. For that reason, I agree with you. And they also, do you know what brown noise is?
1: <sighs> it's like me. white noise, but it's yeah.
0: it's it's like white noise, but it's basically like a muffled white noise and it kind of sounds like what you hear in a cabin when you're inside a plane, mm-hmm. like you're hearing wind, okay. but it's on the outside of whatever you're in. Mm-hmm. I play that all the time when I go to sleep because it's just it's constant and it reminds me of that feeling when you're in a flight where you're like I'm safe. I'm contained. Everything else is being taken care of and it's out of my control. My one job is to sit and stay.
1: Oh, I'm gonna listen <laughs> to I that tonight. That.
0: You should honestly play. I play it all the time on um on Amazon. I was afraid to say her name. I was name
1: gonna say, don't say that.
0: <laughs> I'm living in a house under her foot. <laughs> So, back to D.B. Cooper and what's going on on this plane. So, he sat in 18C, the ILC, and he very calmly orders a bourbon and soda from the flight attendant, which is so foul. A bourbon and soda is disgusting to me.
1: Oh, you know what? I <laughs> bourbon and Coke. No. Bourbon and soda. Soda oh. water.
0: Who thinks I love the taste of bourbon so much? I think I want to water it down and add bubbles. I want to add bubbles. <sighs> It's wretched. That's so seventies so to me. It's profoundly seventies. I can see yeah. it. Also, I hope nobody can hear me sipping violently sipping this water. I'm gonna close it up.
1: You mean the bourbon and soda? I can my bourbon see and. So. I'm like, how disgusting!
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we should do like um, we should do an episode where there's like a cocktail or something like something specific mentioned, and we're like drinking the cocktail that's a part of the story. That would be cute.
1: Can we find a truth about, about <laughs> Aperol spritz? <laughs> That's my drink I'm right I'm sure now. they exist.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they exist. I'll keep an eye out. Creepers, okay. if you know any, please feel free to comment and yeah. uh, uh Who so, was it at
1: the beginning? Kendra? Girl, you better oh, Kendra, start yeah. doing your research.
0: She's already got a pen and paper. Yeah. I know yeah. it. I, tr- I have full faith and trust in Kendra. <laughs> so we're on the plane. The plane departs shortly after 3 p.m., And this is where things start to unravel with the story. So he calls over the stewardess and he hands her a note very quietly, which she thinks is him slipping her his number, which was very common for her. So she's very polite and she's kind of like, okay, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And she slips it into her pocket and then just goes back to work, right? Very professional. But she did not realize what he slipped her was a bomb threat. <laughs> so she just leaves this guy sitting there and she, she walks away and she's like, thank you. And then doesn't react. And he's like, wait, no, I'm trying to lady. I'm trying to do something. <laughs> so he calls her back over because he's like, I'm sure she did not read that. note." he ushers her back and he, he whispers and he goes, miss, you better look at that. No, I have a bomb. Her blood runs cold because the unimaginable is happening in real time. He is hijacking her flight, everyone's flight. So the note, it still exists in evidence archives um, to this day in his apparent handwriting. And it details that there is a bomb in the briefcase that he carried on board. So the note also instructed her to sit next to him, to which she does because she's scared and she does it quietly. It's very discreet. He opens the briefcase and he shows her that he's not bluffing he had a bomb in that briefcase. To her description, it was like sticks of red dynamite all connected to an array of wires. And then he quietly instructs her to write down a message for him that she's going to take back to the captain. So he has her write down, I want $200,000 by 5 p.m. in cash, put it in a knapsack. I want two parachutes for my back, two front parachutes. And then when we land, I want us to refuel. There should be a refuel truck there. And no funny stuff or I'll do the job. And of one of the stranger details, Cooper wants all of this money, all two hundred k in $20 bills. So let's discuss that thus far. I think it's kind of obvious maybe why he would have requested the $20 bills. It seems less suspicious. You know, if that's like in circulation versus someone who gets it all in 100s. Probably mm-hmm. easier to trace, I'm assuming. Yeah. But that's what he wants. How do you feel about... Those instructions and the threat thus far. It's kind of insane to me that he's willing to carry out a
1: suicide mission for this money if it doesn't go his way. Um.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting you bring that up. I wonder if he ever considered that he just would not be given what he asked for because there's 36 people on board the plane, passengers, and then there's the flight crew. So there's no way the FBI, like the government, is just going to be like shoot them down. <laughs> like, yeah, you know no, what I. Mean? I like, but it's it's it's
1: insane to think like, yeah. And if you don't do it, it's all going down. Like, I, I you either have to go with me, job, or I'm going to yeah.
0: do the job. Like, mm. oh my gosh! Could you imagine being that flight attendant? How scary that must be to be in that, be the middleman in that position. So
1: here's what I'm already – my wheels are turning. How are they going to Mm. communicate about getting that – so you're saying, like, they would land the plane and go get him the money and bring it back?
0: So this is – let's see. Timing-wise, this is shortly after 3. So he is instructing her to give this note up to the captain because he's going to relay into air traffic control. Okay. We are in a hostage situation. These are his demands. And, like, the FBI, they can scramble and get things together. I mean, because it's not a huge ask, really. It's $200,000 cash and refueling. And that's going to be a part of, like, the early negotiations in this about why they would meet these demands. So let me get into the next phase of the story. So what happens next? He has the note brought back to the captain. Just like I said, the captain radios into air traffic control, lets them know this is a hostage situation, Um, So this gives the FBI time, once they get word of this, to meet all of these demands, just to know that everyone on the flight is going to remain safe. So they do land in Seattle, and all of the personnel are waiting at the airport for the exchange, because what's been communicated thus far is that D.B. Cooper is willing to let all of the hostages, the passengers, off the plane, minus the captain and the two girls, who I think are the flight crew. They're the stewardesses. So they land. Everybody gets ushered off the people who are supposed to stay on, stay on, as well as D.B. Cooper. All of the lights in the cabin are dimmed so that, you know, the FBI and all the police who are surrounding the plane can't really see inside. They don't know where he is or what he really looks like. So here is Cooper's request. He wants the captain and the flight staff to stick on the plane. They're going to refuel while they're landed in Seattle, get back up in the air, and they're going to fly down to Mexico City, and they have to stay below 10,000 feet in the air. So it seems like he is planning to jump from the plane. That's clear. According to those who were left on the plane, the ones who had the most time like interacting with him, it's around this time that he put on a pair of dark wraparound sunglasses, which he would wear through the remainder of the experience. (laughs) They're now being sold at Prada. So I hear, (laughs) but (laughs) it's, it's mentioned I think pretty early on and prominently in this case, because they've kind of come to be known as the iconic image of this story because so much of, the imagery around this is focused around the sketches of DB Cooper, one of which depicts him in these glasses. So everyone knows him as this like serious men in black type figure, right? Mm-hmm. So here's where we're at. We have the instructions from DB Cooper, Seattle to Mexico, stick below 10,000 feet, and he has requested these parachutes for specifically. And the reason that's important is because it's leading the FBI to believe that not only is he planning to jump, But he is going to make everyone else jump from the plane. And it's also a way that he can, like, basically safeguard himself from being given a faulty parachute. Because if he was requesting a parachute for just himself and they're like, he's going to jump, let's give him a parachute that won't open. They can't run the risk of that if he's potentially going to make everybody jump from the plane. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to have a working parachute. Could you imagine that, like, as a captain or, like, a a stewardess, having never done a parachute jump in your life, now knowing, like, an impending moment that you're about to jump from 10,000 feet alone, solo jump?
1: Can I just say, this D.B. Cooper character has a hell of a Mm -hmm. lot of guts to execute a hostage plan up in the air. Why in the world? Like, you're... Ability, like your um, capacity for it going wrong, and you getting stuck in a compromising position, and other people around you is so high. I still don't even fully understand when he's getting the money and how that's even going down. And is, is he jumping out of a plane with a briefcase of money, or are they depositing it and proving it, and then he's going to jump out? No,
0: no. So, like literally in Seattle, when they landed to refuel before the plane's going to take off to Mexico, they handed him the money in a nap like it was handed to like a crew member which then handed it to him in the cabin it's just a knapsack of cash that's what he's gonna hold on to when (laughs) he jumps out of a plane
1: plane? what are you a cartoon character like that is literally it seems
0: ridiculous it seems ridiculous but he's to their description he was he never faltered he was completely calm and confident through all of this just like cool he's drinking (laughs) he's having a bourbon before he's gonna do this (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, everything's going according to plan thus far because, you know, they got the people off and they had the flight crew still on. He has his money. He's got the parachutes. So the plane refueled and it took off because they can't run the risk of also endangering, like, the innocent people who are on the flight crew. So he's got the $200,000 cash. They're on their way to Mexico. And this is when things get interesting because somewhere, while they're over Reno, Nevada – DB Cooper opened the rear emergency door to the plane, and with two parachutes on, one strapped to the front, one strapped to the back, without hesitation, he jumped into the dark sky while it was raining, holding the sack full of $200,000. And this would mark the last time he has ever been seen, <laughs> and is the inception of the mystery as to who he was and where he went. Thoughts on that escape plan? <laughs>
1: I'm really not trying to sound like an ass, you know what, right now, but... Do it. (laughs) Why are you jumping? Okay, so you've gone through this whole cockamamie plan, and then you're going to jump out of the plane with cash, and it's Mm -hmm. wet, and... Just hope to God you land on your two feet with all $200,000. Like, I'm, I'm imagining him flying out, like jumping out of this plane. And he gets down there, he's got like five bucks on him, like it's all gone flying. It just seems I know it's
0: just like $20 bills scattering across the nation, like all over Nevada. Oh <laughs> the great <boy>. rain, <laughs> the, the great, great rain, rain of 1971. <laughs> but, well, this is what's mysterious about that because it would it, okay. So, this is what this tells me is that this is somebody. Who has to be, if they're this confident, they have to be somewhat experienced with knowing they're going to be able to feasibly jump out of a plane, Mm -hmm. have their wits about them, hold on to all of this loose money. (laughs) You couldn't put it in like a brief, like put it in the briefcase or something. Why a sack? Anyway, so jumps out of the plane and is confident they're going to land. But it's interesting because clearly he did not plan to jump out in Mexico City as everybody had anticipated as he told everyone. He was going to jump out at a random point while en route. But what's strange about that, and I'm, I'm going to get into it in a little bit, he didn't pick the, the route. He didn't know where the hell he was. He had no idea where they were, because there are many different ways you can get down to Mexico City from Seattle. He had no idea what he was jumping over. Could have been the ocean. Like, he did not know. Again, Just a dark sky. What? <laughs> Shock it. It's crazy. It's, it sounds like fic, Like the work of fiction.
1: Uh, here's all I got to say. I'm never drinking a bourbon and soda.
0: This is, this is going to get even funnier for you, actually, because okay. I, I can tell you're already like, you think this guy's a joke. <laughs> so now what did Cooper leave behind on the plane? Because there are a few like tangible pieces of evidence here. He left his tie. Turns out it was a JCPenney black clip on tie he's a clown
1: (laughs) I love how that's what you're laughing at
0: (laughs) I just it's a clip on to like I I think I was on board with him being like this like smooth criminal for a little bit with like comes on he's got the cool collected shades on at night he's got the bourbon and soda rips off his clip on tie like he's going to communion (laughs) and then makes out of the plane (laughs) with a knapsack of 200 grand (laughs) and just goes flailing through the air flying Do you think
1: that – well, no, we'll get into theories. Never mind.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, there's – I mean, we have a few suspects who it could have been, but all of them are, like, just as comical as the story itself. This is a very different, like, vibe for us. I feel like this case is not as, like, sinister as I was anticipating. It's kind of funny. but Well, the tie is actually extremely important for the FBI because it does have trace amounts of his DNA on it which they would use to later map back to see, like, does it match to anybody? And, of course, it never has. But the case, which was known um, by the FBI as Norjack, that's their nickname for it, uh, took a specific interest in the $20 bills that could have potentially been circulating around the country because, clearly, D.B. Cooper did not jump from the plane in Mexico, but in Nevada. So, mm-hmm. obviously, the cash would have had to have been spent or have gone into circulation somewhere in the US. And all the money they provided to him, because they have provisions in the FBI when people request ransom, they're like, we know every single serial number, to mm-hmm. every single 20, which was handed to him. So if anything ever went back into circulation and was found, we could backtrack and figure out where his foot traffic was. No money has ever been circulated in the US. And it's never found, never until we hit 1980. This is nine years after D.B. Cooper jumped and vanished into the stormy night sky. So this is interesting. There was a young boy who found a rotting package in Nevada. It was filled with $20 bills, which it turned out the serial numbers were a match to the ransom money. D.B. Cooper got away with nine years prior. So in total, there's $5,800 in that package. So the money is found near a body of water near Tina Bar. While this boy was out with his dad, they're like on a camping excursion. They're like building a fire, and he spotted it. Just found like a ton of twenties. But because the money was soaked, it's believed that it had fallen into. Oh, I'm gonna botch this name of this river, the Washugal River, and traveled downstream before eventually ending up banked in Tina Bar. Now the FBI, once they had this location, they're like, okay now we can really hunt for, like, where D.B. Cooper might have gone because at the time when they knew he jumped out of the plane near Reno or somewhere over Reno, they were like, he definitely died, but they never found a body. They never found a parachute, and they never found the money. So they were like, that's not possible. <laughs> like, we, like, one thing has to happen for the other. You know what I mean? Like, we right. either find him dead, like he never survived the fall, or he did survive the fall, got away, and then started spending some of the money. But neither seemed to happen. It was like he vanished midair or he landed and somehow still never spent any of the money until he got out of the country or laundered it somehow.
1: Yeah, or hit it. But,
0: as, yeah. Yeah, could have totally could have hit it. But once they had like this location where this chunk of money was found, clearly he lost some of it. The FBI, they scoured these waters because they were like, well, if we're going to find D.B. Cooper's body, we're going to find it here. Maybe we'll find the parachute in the water. They never found anything. Looked all over the woods. Looked all through the bodies of water. Never found remains. Never found any trace of in landing. Weird. It's weird.
1: Beyond weird. Also, what is this, nine years later?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that money was pretty badly damaged, so it looked like the money had been there for years. Okay. It was, like, partially disintegrated. So it was not fresh. Okay. But even so, I mean, this is kind of suggestive that D.B. Cooper not only did land, he survived and got away somehow. Thoughts on that? <laughs> kind of impressive, actually.
1: I mean, very impressive if it actually happened. Um, but then think about you land and then you have to take on, like, some whole other new identity in Reno. Well,
0: you don't even know where – he did not know where he was. Right. I mean – for all it's so crazy to me because he didn't know what he was flying over so like if you're thinking you're gonna land somewhere you could be like landing on a mountain you could be landing in like woods in the middle of nowhere you know absolutely i mean that's kind of what i'm saying i'm like all of this for
1: i guess two hundred thousand dollars and then That Mm $200,000 that you're going to have to immediately spend a large chunk of to somehow establish yourself in some (laughs) place, hopefully? It's just so odd.
0: Well, I mean, because then you have to facilitate how you're actually going to get out of the country. You know what I mean? Because there's no way he can stay in the U.S. and spend that money. So if he has to spend it or, like, convert it somewhere else to a different country, it's just the logistics of this are so strange to me. It, it almost feels like he landed safely, had the money, and was just like, I did that. <laughs> and just went on with his life. He just moved on.
1: Right. Which, well, hold, let's back up, though, about the serial numbers on the cash. Is mm-hmm. there any, like, possibility that the FBI, it would be really hard for them to, like, kind of trace that in live time? Does that make sense?
0: Well, I mean... I think they've, they've been reviewing the case. They were still reviewing the case by the time yeah. this money was found nine years later. So it, it only made things more concentrated once they did find this money because they were like, at least we have like a geographical point where we know he was somewhere in the radius of this area. So we can like look at all of the money that might have been spent in some of the serial mm. numbers that have been tracked yeah. over the decade in this area. Nothing. That's so Nothing. True. Even to this day. This case is so – Famous. And there are, you know, many more, like, sophisticated systems that can track this money a lot quicker, you know, mm-hmm. in different ways. They've still never found it. Where is that money? Probably flew out of the knapsack at
1: this point. <laughs> just I can't think. I'm going to close my mouth because I'm, I'm baffled. <laughs> you have a
0: hatred towards Stevie Cooper. <laughs> I,
1: no, I don't have a hatred. I'm just... I'm like, what? I, I, I'm having a hard time understanding the thought process behind it,
0: <laughs> clearly. Well, it, se- it seems haphazard because we'll come to learn that everything he kind of did was kind of a joke, it seems like. Like, he seemed at face value, you were like, wow, this is someone who's kind of impressive. But when, like, professionals weigh in on this, they're like, this seems like somebody who had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> like, somebody who was just, like, hoping this was all going to work out. It's very interesting. So let's see. Now, in just the following year of D.B. Cooper's escape, there were lots of false reports to the FBI, um, which really, really messed with the case at the time. Like there were people who were claiming they knew him, that they saw him, that they were him. And it just fed a lot of like tabloid confusion because he was really well personified in the media as this character. Um, And just like a lot of false reporting that made everything harder once they were really trying to trace the guy. In the first five years of the investigation, there were over 800 suspects who were considered and reviewed, and all but 24 of those suspects were ultimately eliminated. The first point of clarity that the FBI wanted to touch on were the initials DB in DB Cooper. It actually came from nowhere, so it's like a false report. He never actually called himself DB Cooper, which I know is like hard to like remove from your mind now because I've told the story naming him D.B. Cooper. He called himself Dan. That's what he bought the ticket as.
1: Because it's such a great so,
0: nomer, D.B. Cooper. Like D.B. Cooper. Yeah, because it's like, what the hell does it mean? But uh, basically what happened was it was like one false report, got a lot of traction, and then the name just stuck. Everybody was like, D.B. Cooper. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> but um, the FBI does feel very confident in the physical description of this guy. I'm going to continue to call him D.B. Cooper for the sake of the story because his physical description was corroborated by the two flight attendants who arguably spent the most time with him, including Tina Mucklow and Florence Schaffner. They were the ones who were in very close proximity with D.B. Cooper for hours, and their descriptions were taken in completely separate rooms, and they were identical to each other. So here's what we know. We know he was roughly 5'10 to about 6 feet tall, 170, maybe 180 pounds, mid-40s with brown eyes and dark hair and all of the descriptions of how he was dressed, right? And those who interacted with D.B. Cooper at the Seattle airport, including those who exchanged with him uh, for some of, like, the ransom stuff, they had similar descriptions when they got very close and saw him and they said he spoke with a very low voice, showed no signs of a particular accident, like, accent or, like, regional dialect, just very... Neutral, low, manly voice. Now, one thing that the FBI found strange in this case with Cooper is that, like I said, he requested the end destination of Mexico. But like I mentioned earlier, it was clearly a decoy because he had intentions to jump somewhere in the U.S. He did not specify how they were going to get there. So he could not have known where he was jumping. That is so perplexing for somebody who seemingly planned all of this through and through. Because once you jump, it's like, what's your what's your end game there? Like you have to have a getaway plan of like, I need to jump near like a major city or I need to jump in a location roughly where I know I'm going to get picked up if there's an accomplice. But that seemingly eliminated the possibility that there was anybody who was there to like pick him up somewhere because he did not know where he was jumping.
1: He didn't know. (laughs) He'd have to be like super. I'll backtrack on my hatred for DB Cooper, because if he did pull this off, that would be so resourceful
0: survivalist or he just got very very lucky I guess Mm -hmm. but where they do suspect he landed like this place near Tina Bar that's not close at all to like a major that's miles and miles and miles out from like any major destination where you would have like you know food, water, shelter Mm -hmm. general necessities because he's jumping with the clothes on his back he has no water no nothing for sustenance like he's that's scary like he doesn't even have anything to start a fire it's so weird well i guess well no he didn't take the bomb i was like did he take the bomb with him he didn't yeah. he <laughs> that's scary too if you're flying that plane that like the guy who had the bomb threat he he gets out of dodge and leaves the plane and you're left on there with the bomb yeah scary so that's a strange detail that the FBI wasn't really able to reconcile, and they con- you know, consulted with William Scott, who was the pilot of this plane, and he he thought it was strange, too, because he was expecting D.B. Cooper to give him a specific, like, flight pattern. Never happened. Very, very strange. You'd almost think Kind of, think like, impossible. Like,
1: yeah, you'd almost think he'd have to have some kind of, like, flight knowledge.
0: Mm, well – Maybe this is a good time to get into some of the suspects and theories about who we might have been. So just just a (laughs) crone.
1: Sorry, creepers. This is weird energy I'm giving you on this (laughs) podcast
0: episode. No, I think it's great. I think we needed a little like reprieve from Kendrick Johnson's case. So this is this is fun to like make fun of D.B. Cooper. We needed a scapegoat (laughs) for a second. So we've got Richard Floyd McCoy. He is the first suspect to consider in this because there's only about three that I'm going to discuss. Now, there is a former FBI agent and a former probations officer who both publicly believe McCoy could have been D.B. Cooper. Now, the reason being is because five months after the escape, this initial escape of D.B. Cooper, it's April 1972, Richard McCoy was arrested for hijacking an aircraft. And the reason this is significant is because it is a one-to-one match of exactly how D.B. Cooper escaped his flight Mm. in 1971. McCoy chose the same plane. It's a Boeing 737, jumped while in mid-flight through the back, like back exit staircase, just like D.B. Cooper did. And he also requested four parachutes, just like Cooper's. He communicated by passing notes. He remained eerily calm to everyone's description which is also a match to cooper so it's either that this is someone who was very familiar with this and had done this kind of heist before just like db cooper or it's an exceedingly impressive copycat Mm -hmm. you know someone who like studied db cooper's methodology but also had enough like gumption and knowledge about how to do this to like do it and do it calmly Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that
1: How much – what was his uh, ransom that he wanted?
0: Ooh, I don't – do I have that anywhere? Let's see. I don't think I have the ransom. But I think it was – that might have also been a one-to-one match, actually. Um, That would be interesting. But part of – yeah, part of what's interesting around this and why it gives a little bit of credibility to him as a suspect, D.B. Cooper's initial escape happened to fall on the spring break window of Brigham Young University, which you would say that's completely random. Why does it matter? McCoy's hijacking and escape also came on the school break for the university where he was a student. (laughs) So (laughs) he's much younger than the initial description of D.B. Cooper. But visually, he looked like the description of D.B. Cooper. So he was a student, but he kind of looked like he could maybe pass for 30s or older. But just interesting that like D.B. Cooper's escape fell on that spring break as well.
1: Can you imagine being a college student and this is how you spend your spring break?
0: I know. It's like, <laughs> honey, go to Vancouver or something. We don't need <laughs> We don't Actually go to Mexico
1: it. City. I
0: know. <laughs> Maybe that's really what D.B. Cooper wanted all along. He was just trying to get to a resort. <laughs> you know? It's like, I need cash for the resort. <laughs> but every other element of this mostly just supports like a very thorough copycat hijacker. We just have no other verifiable evidence that McCoy could have been D.B. Cooper and the age element doesn't really align here. It's just compelling that he was really the only person who was able to pull something like this off and survive it because his physical description kind of fit the bill. They were like, yeah, it's entirely possible that it could have been him. But what also kind of rules this out, I think, unless he's just an exceedingly impressive kid, his family also came forward as witnesses that uh, McCoy was home the following day for Thanksgiving in Utah. Like from like when DB Cooper jumped from the plane. So if it was McCoy back when like DB Cooper initially did this heist and he jumped from the plane lands in Reno, Nevada in the woods, somehow gets back up to Utah in like a day for Thanksgiving morning. That would be impressive if that was real.
1: Mm-mm. mom can you come pick me up <laughs> i just, I just I jumped made a out mistake of
0: the plane. <laughs> <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> i messed up i messed up so we then have our other suspect here this is Dwayne weber now well i should first ask you before we move on how do you feel about the mccoy theory is that landing uh, cooper landed <laughs>
1: yeah i mean i've <laughs> Sure. I, I, I'm At this point, I'm like, that sounds like it could. But I mean, a college student? That feels so crazy to me.
0: Well, if anything, it's just an impressive audition. Yeah. Really, because it's someone who <laughs> was was equipped to, like, pull this off through and through all the way to the exit plan. Um, but ultimately, there's nothing to incriminate him. So there's nothing really there. Dwayne Weber is a little more interesting as a suspect, I think, because this is a deathbed confession. hmm so he's never a suspect at all during the initial investigation of DB Cooper. But as he's dying, his final like moments, he says, I was DB Cooper. So Dwayne's wife, Joe, she made claims to police that just an hour before he died, she's with him at his bedside. And he told her, he was like, Come close, and he whispered, I have a secret to tell you. I am Dan Cooper. So after he dies and she reports this to police, she kind of like racks her brain about all the strange things that maybe she experienced during their marriage that would make sense. Because I don't even know that she knew who Dan Cooper was. Like she, he's, he's at his deathbed. He goes, I have a secret. And she goes, like, oh, my God, he he was he wasn't faithful to me or something. And he right. goes, I'm Dan Cooper. And she's like, uh, who? <laughs> who? Who was Dan Cooper? Sorry, what?
1: <laughs> to me, that's the type of statement that D.B. Cooper would make.
0: It is. Yeah, it's it's like got so much hubris to it. And it's kind of like hyperbolic for him. <laughs> like that's he waited for that moment <laughs> yeah. for decades. I am Dan Cooper and just slips away right after that. Oh, my gosh. But this like was really compelling for her because she starts thinking about all those strange things like in Their marriage that went unexplained for years, specifically that he frequently had, this guy Dwayne, he had nightmares where he would talk in his sleep, freaking out about leaving fingerprints on a plane. He also had a lifelong knee injury, which he claimed he got from jumping from a plane. But even stranger, Joe described that Dwayne had taken her on trips to the area of Tina bar in the beach in the seventies multiple times. That is really compelling to me because the discovery of that money in Tina bar, which placed DB Cooper at that area wasn't made until 1980. How is this man who, I mean, you could say like maybe he was just someone who was obsessed with the case well before that discovery. How does he already know that that is the location where DB Cooper ultimately probably landed or where that money would be found?
1: Right. And, and, but why in the world would you confess to this like just to hope that your wife passes on if it wasn't actually you hope that your mm-hmm. wife passes on like some crazy legacy for you like some crazy rumor and lore about you like
0: yeah it's it's super to me it's super compelling i mean it's just a bizarre coincidence if it wasn't him that you yeah. have that initial knowledge of tina bar That's so weird. So strange. Was that really how DB Cooper went out? Just as Dwayne Weber? And he goes, Joe, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems like a a lackluster end. I don't know.
1: It does. So, how many, like, are you saying that he and his wife would frequent? Is it Tina Bar?
0: Tina Bar. Yeah. Tina Bar. Okay. mm -hmm, That's like the beach, I guess, but it's, you know, like a landlocked beach. It's a lake, a body of. It's a river.
1: <laughs> well, it'd be interesting to know like when they went there after nineteen seventy one.
0: Um, I mean, multiple times it said throughout the seventies. He wow. would freak it was his idea. He was like, We have to go to Tina Bar. This area is like because it's there's a camp area there. And he's like, he was just insistent, like, we have to go there. It's just weird that all those years later they find that money. Yeah. I don't know. She also made mention, I think, of different times during their marriage where she noticed, like, some personal belongings um, that didn't really make sense or she didn't really know what they were connected to, one of which was a Northwest Airlines ticket, an old one. For no known reason, he had this and kept it until the day he died. But I don't think I saw anything, any reporting that it was found by the time, actually, sorry, I'll backtrack. She remembered that in their marriage, he had this Northwest airline ticket that she saw multiple times. But by the time he died, the ticket was missing. Yeah. <laughs> but like, why would he have that ticket? You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it would have to be preserving his one big claim to fame.
0: I guess. Uh, Unless he truly was just obsessed with the case so much to the point that he bought a Northwest Airlines ticket and just kept it to be like, one day I'm (laughs) going (laughs) to confess to Big D.B. Cooper and get all the guts and glory. So that's his – that's the theory on him. We finally arrive at our final suspect here. We have Kenneth Christensen. So – this theory came from Lyle Christensen, who was watching an episode um, years and years later of Unsolved Mysteries, the show, like the TV show. And Lyle Christensen is his brother of Kenneth. It, the episode covered DB Cooper, and Lyle, while watching this in real time, became convinced that his brother Kenneth was DB Cooper. <laughs> so Lyle claimed that he was at Kenneth's bedside when he died, and Kenneth said something along the lines of, There's something that you should know, but I can't tell you. So Kenneth, like he died and Kenneth was like, I wonder, or or Lyle was like, I wonder what that was, like what his big secret was that he felt he couldn't tell me. So Kenneth in his career, the guy who died, who's suspected of being Cooper, he was a flight purser on Northwest airlines, the same airline that DB Cooper jumped from Hmm. and a flight purser. I don't know what this was is a senior level flight attendant who is well-versed in flight and cabin knowledge, as well as safety procedures and exit strategies from a plane. So, a little compelling. I mean, I could I could believe that. What about you? Hold on, let me... <clears throat> I had to clear my throat. Yeah. It's from the bourbon and soda.
1: <laughs> um,
0: How do you feel about that, though?
1: I... Okay, I guess out of the three, I'm going to say... The first one for me doesn't feel. If I'm thinking about this DB Cooper multiple choice with suspects, I'm gonna throw out <laughs> A, and between mm. B and C, hmm, I guess maybe the purser because he has a better. He has some sort of flight knowledge. Like that's where I was always kind of leaning with this. I was thinking it must have been and somebody that, that worked airline. on the plane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So I, yeah, I well, guess a- C. <laughs>
0: According to Lyle, uh, Kenneth was also known for his distinct love of bourbon and soda, <gasps> which I was like, how many people could like that? Right. Truly, how many? Um, there was just very, like, little explanation as to, like, why he would have done this. But then it started to make sense for Lyle because shortly after when the case happened with D.B. Cooper, Kenneth mysteriously bought a home and mm. nobody knew how. So this theory that they had, it led to... Lyle and basically anyone who was believing that Kenneth could have been D.B. Cooper to this whole plot that this was an inside job that Kenneth knew and conspired with the flight attendants and possibly the pilot in exchange for a split of the cash. Mm. And so so this is why this is interesting and why this kind of explains to me some of the theory about like D.B. Cooper jumped out somewhere, but we don't really know where. And according to the captain, he's like, he didn't know where he was. If Kenneth was a purser, a flight purser, who knew these flight attendants and the captain, and they conspired on this together, it could have very well been that the captain was like, you're gonna jump at this exact location, we know when we're gonna be flying over it, and we'll just split the money after you land. But it's pretty risky to, like, do all this for, like, what, a $50,000 split each? It's corny, actually.
1: Yeah, but I guess it does, I mean, that tracks more than anything that we've talked about with the other two for me. Um, just because what I was also thinking about is how do you, I mean, I kind of feel silly asking this. I, I'm, I'm imagining it's like you open a door somehow and you jump out, but there's got to be like some sort of safety latches. Like you'd have to have some sort of mm-hmm. either the flight attendants do it for you and you jump out. Or if you do it yourself, mm-hmm. you would have, have like some serious knowledge of like how that uh, contraption works. I always imagined you
0: would get sucked out. But maybe if you're flying at 10,000 feet, it's not the pressure, like the atmospheric difference isn't as wild. So maybe it's fine.
1: I get, but I, I guess I'm just saying like, you know, when you get on a plane and they do. You just say like, how did he even get the door yeah, open? Yeah, like how do you yeah. get it open? I feel like there's a specific way to do that, but maybe I'm I'm overcomplicating it in my head.
0: Um. Well, I mean, we have to think about, think about it in this way. I mean, planes now definitely have more, safety precautions i would say towards those things because more things have happened on planes whereas i can imagine like a boeing 737 might have an easier contraption that opens and closes the door i'm sure there's a latch but i don't think it would have taken anything to like have a flight attendant undo the latch Mm -hmm. you know and then he just says like buckle up like buckle yourselves in because i'm about to jump out of this plane (laughs) and he's just holding a knapsack of money But I actually – okay, so let's, like, remove the thought that it was a conspiracy and the flight attendants knew and the pilot knew because that's kind of far-fetched to me because they were scrutinized by the FBI and Mm. ultimately they're like, these people did not know anything. But probably the most compelling evidence to support that Kenneth was D.B. Cooper is that when one of the flight attendants who was on that flight with Cooper was shown a picture of Kenneth – she said of every single suspect she has ever seen, that was the closest match to D.B. Cooper she had Mm. ever seen. She was like, he looks just like the man that I saw that night in 1971. Kenneth was also a paratrooper during World War II, which would suggest he actually did have extensive knowledge and experience in jumping out of planes and would probably feel comfortable doing that. But this is where things get murky because the FBI is quick to discredit like his knowledge because there are professionals who chime in and they're like, what we observed was that this was somebody who was ignorant and unskilled at jumping because to jump out of a plane into the dead of night when it's raining and have no idea what you're over, that is certain death for most jumpers. Like there is absolutely no way anybody could do that and survive like that. Your parachute could deploy, that it wouldn't get caught up with like the wind and the rain and there wouldn't be uncertainty about how you're going to land safe, like safely. It just, it didn't align with somebody who was a paratrooper, you know? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, like I said, there are some in the FBI who do not believe that DB Cooper survived the jump, even though it's pretty suggestive that since he's never been found, like where else could the body have gone? They just think that somewhere, somehow they have never located that body. For one, one of the parachutes that D.B. Cooper jumped with, it turns out, was actually a training chute, and it did not have the capacity to even deploy. And they didn't know this when they provided it. It was like a goof. So thank God he didn't make anybody else jump because it was sewn shut. (laughs) It was just a training chute. And he jumped with two. So it's very possible that he spotted that. Or I don't know. That also suggests to me somebody who maybe wouldn't know because you would probably be able to like spot that right if it was sewn shut if you have like jumping knowledge
1: i would assume so but i guess also when your adrenaline's pumping and you got to get out of there maybe you're not looking at that yeah. maybe you're just like i got to get out of this plane
0: yeah you're a few like bourbon and sodas deep Yeah, you're, <laughs> your vision is a little blurred well the other shoot that he did jump with was a military shoot um Which did not have steering capabilities, which also spells certain death, if you don't know what you're jumping over. Like, he could literally have collided into a mountain. For all we know, he is in a mountain somewhere. They just think for no reason would an experienced parachute jumper ever, 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 ever. Try to jump out of a plane in a suit and an overcoat in the dead of night and survive that jump. It just wouldn't happen.
1: Yeah, no way.
0: And yet, the money, the parachute, and the body have never been found. So how do we explain it?
1: If you're asking me, I couldn't
0: tell you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am still... (laughs) I'm I I feel like
0: I am I said Stu, the FBI has worked on this for 50 <laughs> years. What have you got?
1: <laughs> I feel like I honestly feel like <laughs> you and I are the stewardesses right now and we're just looking at each other like what just happened?
0: Oh, I'm buckled up. I I, I don't want nothing to do with this.
1: Uh-uh.
0: <laughs> Well, it's funny because these were all, like, kind of old theories, I would say. Like, they came about a while ago, and people know them. So I did some deep, deep digging, and I found one that a collection of internet sleuths um, drummed up, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, So I'll run this by you because this is, like, my last little theory. So they honed in on the initial examination of the tie, the one piece of evidence that D.B. Cooper really left behind. It still exists. It's still in an evidence archive. And it has been inspected several times. And this tie has a very interesting story to it. The tie itself showed residue of certain elements and chemicals. There were 100,000 particles on this tie, including traces of cerium, uh, strontium sulfide, and titanium. Hmm. These particles are critical to the story because they are considered rare earth elements. And the only people who come into contact with those are people who work in very specific and very very narrow fields Uh, of any company in the U S that could have been using these elements. The clearest source was from Boeing manufacturing, which led to the theory that DB Cooper chose a Boeing aircraft for this reason. He was an employee with extensive knowledge on this aircraft and planes in general. And it's suspected that based on, you know, who would have been exposed to these elements at a Boeing plant it would have likely have been an engineer or a manager in the factory. How do you feel about that?
1: That is fascinating.
0: Mhm. <laughs> so it effectively etches Kenneth out of the story though, cuz Kenneth was not that. Right. But I love the idea for the narrative. I love the idea of like an engineer who feels disgruntled at Boeing and he because he knows so much about how these planes work and he would certainly know how to like get open like a back like latch and like you would understand like the some of the physics I think around an aircraft and like how low you have to fly he was just trying to get away with a bunch of money just like pull a heist
1: when you said that this is such a reach but the first thing it made me think of was Brian Koberger Like, the Idaho thing that he just...
0: Oh, because he's trying to, like, get on the inside and, like, infiltrate?
1: Yeah, like, he had studied something, and then he went and tried to see Mm -hmm. if he could pull it off. It feels very much
0: like that same kind of situation. I can absolutely see what you're saying. Totally. Totally. I mean, it's such an interesting find, because I really credit, like, the sleuths. I wish I had the name of, like, the group that researched this and found this, because... That does tell a very specific story. Mm -hmm. There are only a select few people that would have those chemicals or those elements, I guess, found on their clothing. I'm so fascinated by
1: that. Yeah, because I think the reason why – and forgive me if it's felt like I've been such a cynic and skeptic this whole time. But I'm like, (laughs) why would someone that wants to get $200,000, a normal average Joe – choose to do mm-hmm. it in a plane it just seems so like your your um chances of not making it out alive a or b with yeah. the money are so high so it feels like you'd have it's to be fantastical. really it's crazy. yeah you'd have to be really confident about planes and aircrafts to be able to feel like you could effectively pull it off
0: Absolutely. Not even just plane, like the physical plane itself, but you, I think you would have to have a fundamental understanding of like air traffic control, how mm-hmm. planes are tracked, how mm-hmm. like flight patterns, like where you're going to jump. Like there are so many elements that tell a story of somebody who was a very specific person who had specific training, which is why I think people like lean towards these theories of like military knowledge or somebody who was like a paratrooper or something like an, the engineer one I think is so, so compelling mm-hmm. for the reasons you're saying. It's just baffling to me because clearly he knew planes very well. But according to the FBI, they're like, what he didn't know was how to jump. He was not a jumper. Nobody would jump in those conditions because you're gonna die. But he's never found. So the investigation just goes cold. And it is considered to this day to be one of the most exhausting cases in FBI history as it spanned more than 40 years, despite the statute of limitations actually running out on his initial crimes back in the 70s. Because I think the crime of heist or hijacking, I think it's what it is, air hijacking, the statute of limitations is only five years. So <laughs> in the first five years of the investigation, like he couldn't have been incriminated for that. And although that there is no current path forward because there's no, really no new avenue, the FBI is still listening to leads to this day. They are still willing to consider new theories on who D.B. Cooper was as the mystery of who he was and where he went remains unsolved. That's what I got, Stu.
1: I guess, you know, I, I also think that for the FBI, it probably is, because as you were saying that, I was sitting here wondering, why are they so hell-bent on you know, figuring this out after the statute of limitations has run out, it's been so long mm-hmm. and the guy is effectively nowhere to be found. But I guess hijacking is such a threat to security of people. And like, you know, it, oh, yeah. it being up in a plane, the ability to get people down safely is so much harder. So I guess nailing hijackers and nailing people that are going to heist. It's its really about, like, national security, I guess, at the end of the day. Um,
0: totally. And they're kind of – I could imagine they're kind of burned, too, by this because mm-hmm. he really was the one that got away in right. this case. I mean, he said, I want this, this, and that, and they had to give it to him. And he walked away with it on U.S. soil. He didn't even have to, like, flee the country.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> it, crazy. I think that's the other thing that's been blowing my mind is that he – like effectively was met with no resistance like he got the plane to land got the money got it back up in the air and said see ya <laughs>
0: like how many okay. times do you walk hear about yourself- that happening it, no it's it's ridiculous well i mean that's why this case is like so infamous is because it seems like something out of a book yeah it's crazy but uh, matt walk yourself through this right now you're db cooper okay you jump you jump out of that plane You're getting pelted with rain It's pitch black You're basically in a sea of black (laughs) There's like high winds And you're just clutching onto this knapsack For dear life Which assuming you're going to hold to the end And then you deploy your parachute You land in the pitch black of the woods Somewhere in (laughs) Tinabar What do you do the second you like Hit the, the ground in the mountains After you land from the parachute You don't have a compass You don't know where you're going You start walking
1: I guess you'd say, I did it <laughs> <laughs> out loud. That's what I'd say. Woo, I did it. And then, yeah. Um, it, did you say, is it, say it again,
0: Tilla, what is it? Tina Barr. Tina
1: Barr. I keep wanting to say Tito like, Burrow. Tina, Tina a, Turner. Yes.
0: And then Bar, <laughs> like where I'm about to be.
1: <laughs> it, okay, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a beach. It was like a It's in Nevada, so it's like near water or something? Yeah. Okay.
0: It's just a body of water, but they call it like a beach, even though it's landlocked. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lake. I don't know. What what the hell would you do? I mean, well, if it's raining, you have to assume the guy's going to freeze to death by morning. Like, you're going to die of hypothermia. So, you you better figure out how to start a fire. (laughs) Just an engineer. Like, I know engineers. I can't. (laughs) <laughs> this, this common, like, average Joe engineer is like, I'm about to hijack a plane with a homemade bomb. And then I'm going to catapult. I'm going to yeet myself out of the back of the plane. <laughs> Not yeet. And, and just go, like, <laughs> spiraling through the air. It's ridiculous.
1: I, Yeah. I mean, that's the other element of this, the personality of this person. They had to be the most, like, just uh, risk-taking kind of off their rocker type of person to really think he I can pull James this he's James Bond. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: He thinks this is like a, a spy movie or something. He's living in his own world. How deflating that must have been for him to like slip the note of the bomb threat to the stortus and she's like thank you. And he just tucks <laughs> it away and she goes can I get you a coffee? <laughs> Anything to drink? <laughs> That's us. That's what we're doing. Honestly. <laughs> Isn't that ludicrous? That is the story of D.V. Cooper, too. I think it's, I did not expect to have like so many laughs about it because I thought it would come off as like very eerie, very sinister, but saying it out loud, it's ridiculous.
1: It, I, well, you know what? And I hope really that I didn't do it a disservice by coming at it from that angle, but no, it just is like. I yeah, I, my, I'm really having like trouble processing the thought process leading up to it, the planning of the event. Like, because normally I oh feel like you and I can kind of emotionally get on the same level. Like we can, we try to tap into the minds of like where this person might have been with the circumstances. And because there's so much mystery around the identity, it's already hard to imagine what this person was like. And they were so their moves were very strange to like pull this off Mm -hmm. and they got away with it so easily that I'm like.
0: Imagine the anxiety leading up to the moment where like, you know, there's no turning back on that plane. Like the second you slip the note and like you just have to stay calm. Basically, even the second you're back up in the air after like you get the money and everything, because you're like, all right, this is like the final phase of the plan. It's time to jump. Out of the plane. Would you ever go skydiving? Yes. I would would love to go
1: skydiving. I don't know if I could do that. I am D.B. Cooper.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This was a huge tee up for your confession. You are D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Hey, guys. Well, Creepers, that's all we've got. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Creep Time, the podcast on the mystery of D.B. Cooper. How do you feel? Do you feel... Angry, inspired, frustrated.
1: I think I feel a little bit inspired by DB Cooper's (laughs) hutzpah.
0: I mean, the guy did get away with it, and
1: not that I'm going to. I'm shocked. Hijacking is not something to joke about, but
0: not at all. Not at all. This is this is (laughs) should we give our strange one? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to like envision in real time. I'm like, I wonder. Like, okay, so if he landed, he survived. What was his life like after that? Like, what did he do? Where did he go? Where did he buy? Because none of the money was used. So I don't know. Maybe he lived a very common life and it was truly just to know inside. He was like, I did that. I'm that girl. I did that. I'm that girl. I mean... (laughs) verbatim
1: verbatim i i was gonna make i was literally going to say how do you come down from that and then i was like he literally came down from that
0: <laughs> the puns are writing themselves They're writing themselves the i couldn't avoid like avoid them i was like we're gonna dive in like yeah. <laughs> let's jump into the case <sighs> and with that Stu. That is going to conclude this episode of Creep Time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We're going to catch you next week on a Friday episode. Should we do it? Should we say goodbye? Goodbye, creepers. Goodbye! <laughs> From D.B. Cooper. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye! <laughs>